Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Everybody. Song leader Keith contacted me this week to see what I was preaching on, and I told him Father Abraham had many sons. I haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> have you heard of that song? If you have, raise your right arm three times. <laughs> if you haven't, raise your left leg five times. I'm glad we're, we're not going to do that one, I don't think, this morning. If Keith wants to lead again, he probably ought to pick another song. Uh, we could get a lot of trouble dancing around doing that song today. Get bruised up, too. Good crowd in here this morning. We're all in close proximity, but that's all right. We're all saints in the same place. And uh, it's wonderful to be a part of a body of believers like this to encourage each other and to walk with each other. There's a lot of walking with each other going on right now. Uh, there's a lot of people doing a lot of wonderful things. And uh, some of them are right out there where we talk about it and see it and can be a part of it. And other things are just lots of little things going on behind the scenes that you all do. And uh, love to be with you all this morning. But I don't think we really understand maybe as much as we could about what it means to be sons of Abraham. That's what the Bible calls us, children of Abraham by faith. Um, I don't understand it all. And part of the reason I wanted to preach on this is so I could study up on it a little bit for myself. And once I realized how many passages talk about the role of Abraham and uh, what it means to be a, a, a son of Abraham, by faith in Christ Jesus, I realize, well, I'm not going to get it all this time either. I'll keep plugging away at it a little bit. If Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible, and he is, then Abraham is like first name in the support cast. Sports fans, he's number two on the depth chart. All right, he's way up there. When you start, start talking about Abraham, you don't have to read very far into the scriptures to find him. And when you read through the scriptures, you see him hundreds of times brought up by many of the prophets, by God himself. You, you see him written about in the apostles to help us understand something that's very important. And, and the difficulty I may have this morning is uh, not just presenting a lot of what I believe is really interesting information, but to actually help you walk out of here and know what it means that you're a child of Abraham by faith and have that move you and stir you in your spirit to walk with God more closely. To imitate Abram and his faith. He is someone worthy of imitation, not in every way. The Bible, as it always does with all real people, also points out the glaring faults, and Abraham had them. And I started to write about some of those things, but there just wasn't time. There's too much good stuff that we need to get to. There's too much that Jesus Christ has to say about Abraham and, and um, things we need to learn about what it means to be a Christian and be a son of Abraham. So we'll, we'll get into that. But right now, where's my clicker? Let's see if we're synced up. Right now, I want to talk to you about Abram the man. Now, you don't have to study all this chart right at the moment. I want to tell you a little bit about Abram first and then tell you why I put this chart up here. Abram's introduced to us in the scripture as Abram who is living in a, a civilized area in Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, he's intelligent, he's wealthy, and uh, he lived 
among a people that were developing, a developing people. Uh, there, this area is located somewhere in the Euphrates River Valley, uh, possibly more to the north, uh, but likely down in the area of where the Garden of Eden was originally founded, and um, probably down in that, in that area. So uh, Abram came from that territory, and he was one of three sons that was born to a man named Terah, and he was 11 generations removed from Noah. So this is where I want to call your attention to this little chart up here. It may be hard for you to see, and I'll step aside and point a couple things out. But um, this may come to, to, to play in Abraham's faith a little bit. Abraham's down here on the bottom because we're looking at him. This chart points this out. Uh, and if we use the Bible chronologies of Genesis, the first 11 chapters in particular, to, to read literally and completely, that is when men were born, when they had their first son, and how long they lived, and that there were none who were skipped in those genealogies. Uh, we realize that Abraham lived at a time when some of these people, such as Shem, who was um, in the ark at the flood, lived. See Shem right here in the red and Abraham in the red? They would have overlapped. Shem lived for um, years after the flood. 500 years. And when you follow these chronologies down, you realize that Abram was born and indeed lived his entire life while Shem was still alive. Wow! Let that sink in for a minute. So, he's 11 generations removed from Noah and just misses his uh, overlapping with him by perhaps a couple years. But in all likelihood, has a, a possibility of talking to Shem. Now, why is that important? Because Terah, uh, Terah, Abraham's father, was an idolater. Joshua points that out in the last chapter of his book, right before he makes that famous statement, choose you this day whom you will serve, and he sets up two choices. He says, the God of, of our fathers, or the God which your fathers and even Terah served when they were across the river in Ur of the Chaldees, you can choose that God, but as for me and my household, we'll choose the Lord. So we learned that actually Abraham's father was an idolater. That's interesting to me because what it means is that, that uh, Terah and the people in the area where he was living uh, were serving idols, and Abram stood out from among the rest, kind of like Noah stood out in his day. Noah stood out. God saw him and found... Uh, Noah found grace in God's eyes, right? Abraham's situations uh, like this quite a bit. Here's another interesting fun fact, but nonetheless something that could bear a lot of weight, okay? If Abram had contact with Shem, and if they're like people are today, I want to know who my grandfather or great-grandfather is. And when Abram went to live in Haran before and on the way to Canaan, he would have been very close to the mountains of Ararat where the ark rested and possibly Shem still remained in that area. So it's very possible that, number one, Abraham would have said, I really want to meet the guy that was on the ark. And it's very possible that Shem would have said, especially for those serving idols, that I want to see every one of my grandchildren and great-grandchildren that I possibly can while I'm alive so I can tell them that the God of heaven lives and I was on the ark when the world was destroyed. 
possible, maybe probable, that they contacted each other. But if he did, Shem lived 100 years. He was 100 when he got on the ark, which means he would have overlapped Methuselah by about 150 years. And Methuselah would have had direct contact with who at the top? Does that blow your mind? So we're not talking about lots of hearsay where stories of facts can turn to myths really easy. We're talking about having contact with people who you don't, you're only uh, four people away from Adam when you talk about him possibly talking to Shem, who knew Methuselah, who knew Adam, if that was the case. The possibilities there is all I'm saying. And maybe that is why God noticed Abraham's faith. And maybe that's why he had it. Parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, don't underestimate your role in the lives of your children and grandchildren, right? So as God was searching for a person to begin a nation with, through whom he could bring about his Savior for all mankind, he had his eyes on Abram. Had his eyes on him. Abram, whom God changed his name to Abraham, father of many nations, was living in the land of Ur. He was middle-aged. He may have been around my age because he was 75 when he went into Canaan. And the Bible says he moved with all his family to Haran and dwelt there until his father died. We don't know how long that was, but we know that Abraham uh, was, was probably somewhere between whatever, 30 and maybe 60, 65, somewhere in there. He goes to Haran because, the Bible says in Genesis 12, and one of the most important passages for us to, uh, to understand the Scriptures, one of the, one of the keys to unlock and understanding the Bible right here. And he said to Abram, get out of your country from your, from your family and your father's house to a land I will show you. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow. How would you like to receive a promise like that, church? Seriously. God comes to you and says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to multiply your descendants. I'm going to give you a land to dwell in that will be your family's land. And it'll be an inheritance that'll be passed down for many generations. In fact, you're going to become so great that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's how you'll be known. Wow, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's pretty cool. There was one huge hang-up, though. Do you know what that was? Do you remember what the hang-up is? Sarah was barren. His wife. Sarah, whom God changed her name to Sarah, been trying to have children for years and years and years. They couldn't. And so when God came to Abram and said, I'm going to make you a great nation of people, she had to struggle with, how's he going to do that? And so, as it turns out, this uh, seems like a promise killer. But it becomes a big, big test for them. 
big test for them. So let's talk about how things unfolded here. Abram was 75 years old when he entered the land of Canaan, and Sarah was 10 years younger. She was 10 years younger, okay? Uh, they're, they're, even though Abraham lived 175 years, uh, they are getting past the age of childbearing, even for those elongated lifespans, all right? And especially, especially when he's 100 and she's 90, and the Bible says she is past the age of childbearing, all right? So I don't know how long that, that uh, period of time was for a woman, but it doesn't seem to be uh, too much longer here than, than ours. And uh, she is frustrated after trying for about 10 more years in the promised land. She concocts an idea. She said, perhaps it's the case that the Lord wants you, Abram, Abraham, to have children, to bear children through my handmaid, Hagar. We've been trying before. We've been trying since God promised this. It's been 10 years, the Bible tells us. This just isn't working. And uh, she's probably frustrated. And she, she comes up with this idea. Why don't you take Hagar, and it must be that God wants you to, to have a nation through him. So Abram yields and a son is born to Abraham and Hagar. Well, as you can imagine, it was neither God's idea nor was it a good idea. But God promised to bless Ishmael, this boy, and make him the father of many nations. And he did. He said, I'll make you a father of 12 princes. Interesting, isn't it? Because Jacob had 12 princes, didn't he? He said, I'll make him a great nation. But church, that's why we don't do skits on the first 10 years of Abraham and Sarah in Canaan. It just didn't unfold very well and didn't turn out very good. It was very, very awkward. And as you can imagine, Sarah became pretty bitter toward her handmaid, especially when she kind of started rubbing it in a little bit. And later on, the boy Ishmael mocked a little bit. She had a real hard time through this. But nonetheless, she stayed with the program, stayed with it. Finally, after 15 more years, 15 more years, mind you, of what? Trying to have a child. <laughs> Between the age of, of 65 and, and 90, uh, 75 and 90 years old, she's still trying to have. Now, maybe Abraham was cool with that, but she wasn't. And finally, God came to them, and he said, I will Return, and Sarah your wife shall have a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And soon after, the Lord established with Abraham the covenant of circumcision, made a covenant that I will be your God, and you will be my people, and every one of your males that is born into your family, that comes into this family, shall be circumcised, and that will be the sign of a covenant between you and me. Soon after that, within the same year, God said, I'll return to Sarah at the time of life, and she will have a son. And she laughed. And God saw her, the ever-present God that Richard talked about this morning, the all-seeing God, said, I see you laughing. And she said, I didn't laugh. And he said, oh, but you did laugh. Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
is anything too hard for the Lord? Folks, making babies is like playing with Play-Doh for God. <laughs> he can make a baby anytime he wants. How did, how did Mary conceive? Uh, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. God can speak, and it comes about. But to us, this just seemed impossible. So she's trying to get over this, and, and you've got to understand she's, she's frustrated. Abraham's been waiting a long time, and finally, she's pregnant. She's pregnant with a child. And they have this boy, and he is named Isaac. And this first major obstacle to fulfilling this four-part promise is overcome. The first major obstacle is overcome. So sometime later when Isaac was old enough to be inquisitive and to carry a bundle of wood, God commanded Abraham to offer up his young son, his only begotten son of he and Sarah, as a sacrifice. Imagine that. Imagine the initial shock. But Abraham, being the man of faith, began to, to reason about this. He took what he knew about God and what God had told him to do, and he began to reason. And it's the Hebrew that letter here that tells us that by faith, Abraham... When he was tested, oh, it was a test, wasn't it? Offered up Isaac, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Isaac, not Ishmael, Isaac. Concluding, listen to this, church. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham said, look, I was 100 years old. Sarah, you were 90 you were barren. We had never been able to have children. And God said, you will, you will. And he made us wait 25 plus more years after he told us that. And he gave us Isaac. If God wants me to go sacrifice him, it must be that he's going to raise him up from the dead. Because that's where he came from, dead wounds, dead bodies. You see how he thought about the power of God and what God was able to do on his, based on his experiences with God. And so, after Abraham thought about this, he went up to the mountain. It was called Mount Moriah, the land of Moriah. It sits, it sits up on the mountain range of Judea. Indeed, Jerusalem is built upon it. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Mount Moriah is right there where Jer Jerusalem was built. And he called the name of the place where he took Isaac, the Lord will provide. And he called it that because once he had laid the wood on the altar that Isaac carried and strapped Isaac to the altar and reached out his hand to take his knife to offer him up, the Lord stopped him. And he said, now I know that you love me. Now I know that you have faith. And he showed him a ram, and he offered that ram in the place of Isaac on Mount Moriah. And Abram said, the Lord will provide is what I'll call this place. Now just hold on to that when we get down to talking about Jesus. So there are about 13 generations that pass of Abraham's descendants, including the, the 12 sons, 13 uh, sons of Jacob. And 
it takes uh, this amount of time to fulfill and settle in the second and third parts of that promise from Genesis 12, to give them a land and to make them a great nation of people. They multiplied while they were actually in captivity in Egypt, remember? And Moses brought them out. He gave them a law. Joshua took them in and they took that land. While God was punishing the Canaanites, he was fulfilling the promise to Abraham's descendants. So the second and third parts of this fourfold promise are fulfilled. But the first hint we get of coming back to the fourth part of the promise that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham is when he sends Nathan the prophet to David. And David really wants to build a house for the Lord. He wants to build a temple. And God said, no, uh, we'll have Solomon do that. You've got too much blood on your hands, David. You're too much of a warrior. I don't want, to be, I want my temple to be associated with that. He said, but I'll tell you what, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna promise you something. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, listen closely. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your own body and I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father and he shall be my son. Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Now the first application of that prophecy is that it's talking about Solomon. But quite obviously, Solomon is not going to live forever. Forever, He's not going to reign forever. And the kingdom of Israel is not going to last forever. In fact, they're exiled some years after this. And the kingdom is, is disbanded. This is obviously a prophecy that God is making to fulfill and the continuation of the fulfillment of the Genesis 12 prophecy that all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abram and through his descendants. And now he comes to David and he necks it down. From all the people in the world he could have chose, he chose Abraham and from all his descendants he chose David at this time. And he said, David, through your body. Now that's something he should remember because when Sarah tried to say, well, Maybe God wants to do it another way, and God had to come back and said, no, I told you through, through you and, and your husband Abram, the seed would come. He comes to David and he says, through your own body, this is going to happen. Someone's going to come along, I'm going to call him my son, and I'll be his father, and he's going to reign forever. And so we get a little taste and a little hint of this promise, again, being the thread that connects all things in the Bible. Then we come down to Matthew chapter 1. Have you ever wondered why the New Testament starts off with a genealogy? You ever wondered? You're thinking, God, if you're trying to capture people's attention, and you really want people to read their Bibles, and they turn to the New Testament where Christians are supposed to be able to find out who they are and how you become one, why would you start it off with a genealogy of people? 18 verses or so, 17 verses. Sounds boring, doesn't it? Not if you understand that the entire body of God's work is about to be fulfilled in this one man that's going to be introduced. So it starts off, the New Testament does, with this passage. Oh, I, I took it off of there. It starts out with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew wants to connect with God's people and say, I want to introduce you to this one. 
And I'm going to shortcut this for you. He's the son of David that you read about in 2 Samuel 7. And he's the son of Abraham from Genesis chapter 12. This is the one. Now here's the lineage. And he gives the lineage. And in verse 18, Matthew says, And this is the record of the birth of Jesus Christ. And it begins to tell you about the story of Jesus' nativity. And how he came into the world. Mary and Joseph were both of the family of David which fulfills that promise of the Savior coming through the seed line of Abraham to David. But Mary's virgin birth also bears witness to the nature of who it was who would be born. He was a man, but he was also God. The Spirit of God conceived this child in the womb of Mary. Not Joseph. The Spirit of God did. And when Jesus later, when he was being questioned about his nature, said... Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad, as if Jesus had saw him and had talked with him, and that he was glad when I came. It outraged those people, wouldn't it? Can you understand why it would? That this man is talking like he's seen or been around or heard Abraham or seen the, the expressions and heard the rejoicing of Abraham when, when he came from heaven to earth. They were outraged. And they said, you're not 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham. Then Jesus made one of his most provocative, profound statements of his ministry. He said, assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So he revealed to us a relationship that he had with Abraham, that he had known him in the spiritual realm, but now... He's going to turn and teach us something about how to relate to him through something that Abraham was able to do. So the life of Jesus is marked by righteousness. Even Peter, as he eulogized him in the book of Acts, said he was the one who went about doing good. You know, Jesus. The one who went about doing He could have said a lot of things there. So he was the one who went about doing good. His life was marked by righteousness, and it wasn't that he lived without temptation, for he suffered all things as we do, every temptation known to man, but he didn't sin. And that sinless status, that sinless record that he carried is the righteousness that's going to carry the power when he goes to the cross and says, I'm going to make a I'm going to make an offer to, listen closely, every family in the earth. Every family, nation, tribe, and tongue. I'm going to make an offer that will bless you. And this is how all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's seed. Jesus goes to the cross and he offers to make an exchange. He became sin that is, the sins that we commit, that we would have to answer to God for in the last day, that we would be punished for without a Savior with eternal death. He took those upon Himself, and the, and the Bible says, Paul says, He became sin for us. He took it upon Himself and allowed Himself to be punished by God on the cross for you and me. 
And then he turned and offered his righteous record to us in exchange to set us free if we would believe like believing Abraham believed. If we have the faith of Abraham and we trust in God and in God's plan, no matter how much we think we might do it a different way, no matter how much it might bother us that, that someone had to die for us. I'm with Richard. I'm glad that Jesus died for me. I'm glad he did it that way because now I understand that the offer of complete forgiveness, complete justification, and to stand in the same relationship with God that Jesus had is mine to accept or reject. That's a blessing whether or not I accept it or reject it. Every person on the earth has been blessed through Abraham's seed because not just an offer is made when they hear it. Folks, the offer was made because Christ, demonstrating the love of God, has already been sacrificed for us. It's already done. So the gospel is good news upon hearing because the work is done that needs to be done in order for you to be right with God. And Jesus offered the exchange if we would only believe. If we'd only believe. Listen to what Paul says in Romans about it. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. And here's the gospel, folks. Here's the gospel. It shall be imputed to us who believe, who raised up Jesus, who believe in him, the Father, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He did this for us, and He's willing to impute, that is to take the record of the perfect life of Jesus Christ, and impute that or account that on your account, that you can actually embody that and stand before God as Jesus does, completely free of sin and forgiven of sin, justified. You can do that. If you believe. If you believe it. Not just once, but every day. Continue to believe it. Because you'll continue to sin. Albeit we strive to cleanse ourselves more and more every day from sin. We die daily, as Paul said. We learn how to repent. We learn how to walk. We'll continue to sin. And we need to continue to believe in the gospel. It is not a given thing that someone says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and want to be united with Him in baptism, where He says that takes place. 
you might say that imputation occurs at that time because we come up new. We come up forgiven. We come up born again. But after that, you need to continually trust that God will wash away your sins as you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And church, visitors, friends, that's why it's good news. You can trust in Christ. If you're trying to trust in yourself and your ability to impeccably keep the law, the promise is not that he'd be the heir of the world through law-keeping, but through faith. That you trust in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross to have the power that God says it does to impart forgiveness and impute righteousness to you that you'll be saved. And that is how, when we come down to Galatians chapter 3, our scripture reading, that is how we're sons of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. Because we believe with believing Abraham and it leads to salvation. So in Christ Jesus, Paul said to the Galatians, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. We're all sons of Abraham in a sense. We're all inherit from our father what he has promised to us, men and women. He says in a figurative sense, women, you're sons too because you're going to receive an inheritance as a son would. And in other places he says we're all sons and daughters, heirs of the father. But that's what he means here. There's no racial boundaries. There's no gender boundaries. There's no social economic boundaries. Everyone becomes one in Christ Jesus when they believe in the gospel. So Abrahamic faith trusts in the blood of Christ offered on Mount Moriah. To wash away our sins. And Abrahamic faith follows instructions, don't forget. When the Lord says repent of sin, we repent. When the Lord says confess him with our mouth before men, we confess him with our mouth before men. And if I want to be saved, then the Lord says you be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, where you will be united together in the likeness of his death and raised like he was raised in a newness of life. I want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins, don't you? I want to make sure I do that. That's Abrahamic faith. And when the Lord says, follow me, I want to follow him wherever he goes. And I know it's going to take a cross for me to do that. Otherwise, I'm just going to follow him where I want to follow him. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Because we're going to go some places you, you don't want to go to get to the place you really want to go. And so I'll leave you with this thought. Abraham's in paradise. Jesus said that in Luke chapter 16. And there was a man named Lazarus standing with him in his bosom. And if you want to be where Abram is when you die in paradise, then believe in the gospel. It will be accounted to you for righteousness. And you'll be able to see Abraham for yourself. And you'll be able to see Jesus Christ standing there as well on that day when he comes to gather us all in one and take us home. That's how...
powerful it is when God makes a promise and fulfills it. And that's how far-reaching it is it's for all of us. I hope that that helps some to understand what it means to be a son of Abraham. And I hope that it stirs your heart to obedience and to greater faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and sing this song. And if anyone needs to become a Christian today, come forward. We'll help you.